0: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Leverage Masters. Airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio, Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio-Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. I'm your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Grace. The co founder of Divisio, the affiliate network for companies doing good. That's D U V I S I O dot com. And we have got my co host and executive show producer, Andrea Adams Miller from the Red Carpet Connection with us as well. Hello, Andrea. Hi, I'm super excited to be here at the beginning of the year, and we have a fabulous guest as our way to really bring in prosperity to 2020. Oh, and I am so glad that you were able to surprise me last week and come and have lunch with me. What a great way to start the new year. Yes, for those of you listening, Gina and I have been friends for um, almost five years now. And a couple months ago, we realized that although we've been on Zoom and Skype and so forth, we've actually never met in person. So I surprised her and said, hey, I'm an hour away from your house. (laughs) Uh, Is there any way you could meet with me? And so uh, she was able to mingle her day so that we could meet in person for the first time. So what a pleasure and a joy to be able to do that. (laughs) It really was. And we've got a great show lined up for you guys today. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit more about our guests? Well, you guys will be really pleased. So we have somebody who's not only amazing as far as what they do in the world, as far as how they show up and greet people, but with their humor, their wit, their wisdom, and their life story. This is Lauren Michaels-Harris, who's joining us. He is a motivator. He was a former foster child, and he really strives to inspire and uplift every person who crosses his path. His message shows those who want to know that, yeah, life might be full of challenges, but it's our challenges that provide us our greatest opportunities for growth and learning. He's a mentor, a breakthrough coach, author, friend, and he believes that we're all a part of the ripple effect and that it's his personal duty to use his story to create the ripple that will reach around the globe. So to achieve this, he embarks daily on his quest to become a special type of impactor, the type of person that only accepts the honor of being referred to as one, from acknowledging or respecting each step and misstep that got him here so he loves his creator loves being creative loves books music and all things of beauty and his favorite saying is if one is ever to be the blessing, then one must be able to actually see the blessing. He currently has a Goalcast motivational video out that has earned well over 7 million views. In fact, if we check it, it's probably over 8 by now. And he has an album that's been released called Turn It Around. And he's been featured on Larry King Live, NPR, People Magazine, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, and Fox. And now on Leverage Masters. Welcome to the show, Lauren.
0: Hi, thank you for having me. What an honor!
1: Well, I am super honored, and we were kind of blessed today. So, if if I may share, you you had a, a surgical procedure uh, lined up for today, and it magically was bumped off, so you could join us.
0: <laughs> yes, it was, and um, emphasis on the magically because it took me a few minutes to wrap my magic mind around it. <laughs> It's the third time, but it's interesting because two calls came in back to back to step in uh, and replace someone. So, you know, divine intervention and purpose, um, you got to you got to grab them where you find them, you know, and I was so I thank you for the offer because it really helped to redirect me back to the only thing I do have true control over, which is the now. So. Right now, I am sitting inside of a great opportunity instead of pacing around, you know, maintaining my attitude of being pissed off because I think I know more than than the universe. So I, I want to thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I was like not happy, but I am now.
1: <laughs> Well, good. Well, you know, uh, Leverage Masters, we've been on uh, for a very long time. We've had amazing guests all throughout the years. And Gina and I both have had our trials and tribulations. And we love how, on a weekly basis, we're reminded to get off of whatever story that we're on in that moment and be reminded of all the joys and opportunities that things bring to us. And it's not what's happening to us, it's what's happening for us. That that allows us to take that next step in a different direction that we never even mm-hmm. saw coming. <laughs>
0: mhm. That's so true.
1: Yeah, so let's kind of start, because uh, our audience hasn't had the pleasure of knowing you and knowing your background, so kind of, like, start us out, you know, like, how how did you end up in foster care, and,
0: and what was that
1: like for you, because so many kids I've talked to and adults, you know, have had a lot of, I'm, I'm there's lovely families out there, I know that there are, but unfortunately, so many people did not have that experience.
0: Yeah, correct, correct, Um Unfortunately, most people have some, you know, some shade of a horror story at some point, and and the numbers dictate that. That's all it is. That's all it is. Yeah. And you're right. You're so right, Andrea. That oftentimes those great foster parents, and there are tons of super people who have a lot of capac- a deep abiding capacity to love kids, and they are they're, they're kind of like an afterthought when we talk about it. So thank you for that. It is true that um, I had some wonderful. Um, experiences in the foster system, but like everything in life, for balance, there's going. You know, we wouldn't have the the heartbeat. You know, it is an up down thing. Um, so where there is one, of course, there must be the other. Um, but unfortunately, you know, when the choices that you have to deal with are not your own, it can make it a little difficult, especially when you're a kid. But my my story began with. Uh, Two African American women in 1960 something. Okay, 62. Doggone it. Yes, I, I kind of gave it away anyway. I was having a knee replacement <laughs> today, so you know I've got to be over the hill. Yeah. So uh, uh,
1: or or you were you know 18 and played basketball.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, these two women. Um, one, my birth mother Lucille, uh, had escaped a bad, uh, marriage in arkansas with four other siblings of mine who of course were older um and uh when she when she escaped from from arkansas she um was not pregnant with me at the time but her and five other women packed up their cars and all their all their kids they were all single they were all women who were either single mothers or married in a bad relationship and they made a pact and they got in and they there was factory work up north and they came here and um, my dad was an over-the-road truck driver. So all of us, all five of us, my siblings, all have the same mother and all have the same father, although I came after the divorce. And so long story short, he was an over-the-road truck driver, and apparently he would come by, uh, come through town every now and then and stop and see the other kids and, you know, leave money, that sort of thing. And this particular night, my oldest brother, uh, he actually told me, my mom died not even knowing I knew this this story, but... He, uh, after I found my family, um, which I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but I was, you know, I was, um, I'm doing air quotes, adopted because it wasn't really an adoption, passed off, handed off uh, to another family. But my brother uh, told me when I found uh, my birth family after 20, I mean, 32 years, he told me that he remembers the night that my dad came through and um, he heard fighting and things breaking and he went downstairs after my dad's truck left and. Helped my mom write the room they never said a word to each other but her wrist was broken um she had to go get that fixed the next day she had some cracked ribs and uh broken glass and he helped her clean it up and he goes we never spoke of it again but nine months later you came and uh so she was in the hospital and my adoptive mom was the nurse there and she kept telling my mom the story um my mom kept telling her her different stories and she kept saying well why don't you let me take him while you get on your feet for a few months and my mom said no that's okay but i appreciate it took me home with her contracted pneumonia in the first week and when they took her back to the hospital because i was a newborn they took me with her and so my adoptive mom started working on her again and so she said to me after i found her 32 years later my birth mom she was lauren i just i needed someone to help me there weren't a lot of options for an African-American woman in 1962 with four kids and a sixth grade education. She goes, and this woman was a Christian and she was smart. And she, you know, um, so I did it. Well, you know, where people fall in love, um, we sometimes do crazy things. And, you know, it's a, it's a, a challenge talking about that part because it's almost in a way it can be taken as the kind of thing where you're not giving, you know, you're you're kind of talking down on the woman who raised you the first, you know, 11 years of your life. But it isn't, the truth is the truth. The truth is the only thing in the universe that will never change, and it will never change on us. So I must tell my truth, as we all must. And so, you know, this is an opportunity you provided. So I, I have to let the door to this opportunity um, open and send my truths through first, because That way, I really believe that those listening as well as myself, because the healing never ends, it never truly ends, Um, we pass our healing and our healing uh, salves, if you will, onto others. So I just want to say, you know, for those who find it difficult to talk about certain things, a lot of times because of the memory of someone, and that's kind of what I deal with every time I mention my adoptive mother, what is this saying to her memory? But the truth is the thing that must go first because then what is greater than us has permission to walk before us, stand beside us, and bring up the rear behind us because there will always be a blind spot. That's something that we cannot see coming. So uh, she takes me and she falls in love with me. She doesn't want to give me back when the prescribed time comes. Uh, Long story short, she sent a letter to my birth mother and said that, I'm sorry, I don't know how to tell you this, but your baby died. So – and then moved to the other side of the country and took me with her. Um, Wow. Yeah. And my birth mother, interesting enough, in the Goldcast video, that that was – I can't even begin to tell you uh, what – when I say the healing never ends. Here I am, 57 years old, and two years ago when Goldcast did this production of my story, Lost or Found They found the video on my YouTube, but then they went and produced it, you know, with the video uh, images. And when I wrote that story and and performed it for the very first time for Listen to Your Mother, I had never told my story to more than one or two people at a time. And here there was an audience of like 300. And I remember I was tempted to run off the stage three times when I was waiting for my turn. And the girl next to me would pat my thigh and say, no, Lauren, stay here. You, you need to tell your story. And in that story, there's a line where when I saw the, the, the images that they used, it, it, it helped me connect with a piece that was missing from my journey, um, having not been around. You know, I don't have baby pictures. I don't have the, uh, the youngest picture I've seen of me. I think I was like six years old because they didn't take many with me in it because I was being hidden. Um, so, you know, I went to private schools and, you know, I had a different name. I wasn't Lauren Harris, um, until after she died. I was Larry Dixon, um, every day of my life, the first 11 years. And then within 48 hours of her death, I was moved from the family. I was removed from the home. I was given my, my rightful name back and handed a trash bag and told to pack up whatever I could in 15 minutes because we had other stops to make that morning you know it's a it's a it's i can't even tell you how surreal that's not even adequate that's not a that's not an adequate description whatsoever um to be standing in the middle of a living room with nothing but family members who moments before the doorbell rang everybody was talking and it was a, a hub of action and then suddenly when the doorbell rings everyone shuts up and they all look at me because they all knew she was coming Everyone but me, that is. And so, and I'm looking around, like, what? You know, and we answer the door, and she says what I just told you. Here's the bag, blah, blah, blah. You weren't adopted. Your name is not Larry Dixon. Your name is Lauren Harris, and you have to come with me. Um, and they're all looking away now. When I look at them, they look the opposite direction. No one knows what to say. And I remember, I'll never forget, I uh, was on the back seat of a, a state vehicle, it was a gold car with emblems on both sides of the doors, uh, both sides of the car of a deer because we were in Michigan, and uh, a deer, I'll never forget that. It, would, it haunts me um, even today at times um, when I see a picture of a deer reared up on its back haunches, and I remember looking out the back window on my, standing on my knees, looking at them, and they were all waving, and I could hear someone scream out, don't worry, Larry, it's red tape. We'll have you home in a few days. I was 19 years old when I walked back through that door. 16 abusers later, wow. and 22, 22 mothers later. Um, Jeez. you know, uh, back then, <clears throat> with everything that happened, you know, um, I went from one one property line of anger crossing over into someone else's property line. And the only thing that I could take that, that allowed me to feel um, okay with trespassing, if you will, because you never feel like you truly belong when you're in the system. In most cases, you really, really don't, because in order to feel that way completely, like you belong, you have to give up the possibility that where you came from still wants you, that where you came from still needs you. Um, and you know, it's it's very difficult uh to even no matter how much that's why again I say the healing never ends, because even today, all these years later, moments like this, it's still there's still a shade of pain that I know now I must always have with me. I believe That wherever we originate, when we're shown like, a if you will, a sizzle reel or a trailer of our journey, um, because of free will. I believe this because I believe in free will, and I believe free will is from the very beginning, um, from that once upon a time moment when your story begins. Because all of our stories start with either in the beginning or once upon a time, depending on your belief systems. Um, And I believe we're shown some of it, and, and we choose our way into it. Um, and then some people choose their their way out, you know, suicide and, and things like that. When people wait on their deathbeds until everyone arrives, they're waiting to choose their way out. And um, so, you know, the years went by, and I didn't know it at the time, but I was learning so much from all of these other children. Uh, I'll never forget. The very first night in foster care, there were three boys. And I have a necklace I wear when I speak to children now um, that has a stone for each boy. And I tell them, you know, because I can't help but rub it when I'm walking the stage and speaking. I have to hold that in my hand. It's like a talisman. And I tell them how I was on my stomach in the room. There were three sets of bunk beds, so that's six beds. And I was in there alone because the other kids were out playing. They knew a new kid had come, but they were giving me my space, I guess. And at 8 o'clock at night, everybody got locked in that room. And when they came in, I was on my stomach because I had um, that trash bag. And the only thing in that trash bag I grabbed at the last second when we were leaving, I ran back into the house, passed everybody into my mother's bedroom, and went to her bathroom and grabbed her hand towel. And because her hand towel always smelled like triple lanolin lotion. And I'm really glad to this day that I went back and grabbed that because it was a bridge that sent that aroma of what it felt like. You know, you don't realize sometimes in life that when you wake up that you may, it's possible that you can, you may never wake up that person again. Sure. And and that's what happened to me. I I thought I was waking up like I had every Wednesday. I thought we were going to the grocery store like we had together every Wednesday. It was a, my mom and mine's thing. And uh, you never know when something is your last. That's why I always believe in making the most out of a first, a first anything. Because if you if you experience something um, a million times. None of it will ever be like it was that first. You can go to 100 weddings, excuse me, 100 weddings or 100 graduations and until and, and it's your wedding or until it's your graduation, it's just not the same. But because of the, the, the magic within a first, I always, I'm tied into that thing about, you know, you just, that's why I, I embrace the first so much because I know what it feels like to have a, a, a last cast into your world out of nowhere. So, I, you know, worked my way year after year through the system. And uh and then over the years it was amazing cuz you know, I get out of the system and you know, when back then in the 80s, I graduated in 1980, you know, when you have to fill out FAFSA and all this, I wanted to go to college. I was ahead. I didn't That's one thing I can say. I'm grateful that I was in private school because it kept me in public school. I didn't have to go into what they called special ed back then because so many foster kids move so often that they can, they can't stay up. You know, they can't stay with their peers. Um, and so they fall behind one, two, three years and end up dropping out because who wants to be a 16 year old in eighth grade? Um, literally I saw that many times where someone was 15 or 16 and they were operating in the school, in the classroom. Cause some places you went, you were, you went to school in trailers. Um, and so you were in there with everybody, especially when in the group home setting, uh, and, and they would just drop out, run away, drop out, because, you know, imagine sure. when, you know, people that go back to college late in life, imagine feeling like that as a kid, <laughs> you know, every place you go. So yeah, uh, I had to start learning, not until I was in my 40s, that it, it dawned on me that it was up to me to choose my way out of where I was because I was having great opportunities in my twenties. I had a record contract deal. I walked away from it. Um, um, Everything that had happened, you know, I started the world's very first apology company when I was 26. Um, It threw me in the limelight for a quick 15 seconds. Like Andy Warhol said that 15 seconds or 15 minutes of fame. Um, And I walked away from it because I didn't know who I was at that point. I didn't know, where I had come from. I didn't know who I looked like. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. And so that pull, that universal pull to find them was so overwhelming that I just, I couldn't focus on anything else. So I went to the area. I had been making pilgrimages back to the area in Michigan. I originally came from all through my adulthood. I had been back probably 10 times. And when I would go, I would stay in a hotel and I would call all of the Harrises in the phone book. And I would ask them, and they'd always say, no, we don't know a Lucille Harris, nope, sorry. Didn't you call us like 10 years ago? And I was like, yeah, but you know, maybe you remembered something. Well, I had gone back uh, for another one, trying again. And I just kept getting the same thing. And this particular day, it seemed like everybody that I got was like, would you please stop calling? Suddenly I was a bother. No matter how many times I'd called in fact past this particular day, I felt like everybody was just done with me. And so I made plans to kill myself that night. And I had a studio apartment. I was starting a business. I had all my paperwork, my DBA paperwork, and everything was uh, out on the floor in this studio apartment. And I went to Myers and I bought a jug of wine. I bought some baby Ora gel. I bought some straight razors, and I bought um, the Bodyguard soundtrack with Whitney Houston (laughs) and and candles. And I filled my bathtub, and, um, you know, I started playing that song, I Have Nothing, and put it on repeat, got my candles going. I started drinking the wine. I was in the water, and I reached for the box, those razors that you you take the, the, like, uh, little paper thing from around, you know, like you scrape paint with. Yeah. And it was dark in the bathroom because all I had was the candlelight. And I felt the, you know, you rub your hands, your fingers over the blade. And it felt rough. So I go up to the candle and I look. And it's completely rusted. I was like, what? So I went through the box hurriedly. And each one of those, every single one of the razor blades was completely rusted. I mean, rusted. Nothing I could do with them. And I said, whoa, shoot. Uh, I can't use these. I'll get Lockjaw. <laughs> and I heard, right. And I heard a voice say, aha, if you are intending to take your own life, why would you even care about something like Lockjaw? Okay. Get out of the tub, Lord. Just get out of the bathtub. And I got out of the bathtub and I cried myself to sleep on top of all my paperwork. I just fell on it on the floor i didn't pull my bed out of the couch and you know the couch opened into a bed i just fell out over and in there and this really happened in there i had a dream just like when i started the apology company years before it came in a dream and this time again i was in a dream but i was in uh i i walked into a mechanic shop and they said can we help you and i said i don't know i'm hoping you can they said well if you're here to get fixed you found the right place. You've come to the right place. And they said, look over there. And they pointed to one of those w- calendars on a wall that's like screwed. It has two screws, silver screws at the top of the numbers, and the numbers are red and white and black, red for holidays, black and white. And they're just individual sheets with numbers on them, you know, the kind I'm talking about. And I
1: do. I do.
0: Yes. And it said July 4th, Wednesday. Well, I then found out later that the year I was born, July 4th really was on a Wednesday. But in I mean, in a dream it showed me and it, so then I I heard like a like a um uh what is it a, the the breaker box sound like in a the theater <laughs> like someone pulled it down the lever and everything went black and I heard the voice say enough time has passed wake up lauren and find her and then it clicked back on and it said these are the days these are how many days that have passed. And it did it again, it shut it down, and then when it came back up, the pages started coming off, <laughs> like the wind was just snatching them off the calendar. And next thing you know, I'm standing on a mountain of those pages, and it goes, look down. This is, a, this is the time that has passed. Today is the day that you find her. And I got up, and I woke up, and I was thinking, okay, I wanna go back to the phone book. I'm gonna keep getting up. I'm gonna keep doing this anyway. And I got really hungry, and I went to the kitchen, and I had forgotten that I'd thrown everything out because I thought I was going to be dead. because I didn't want the neighbors – I lived upstairs in their apartment, and I didn't want the people to not smell me if I started decomposing, you know, sick minds, think sick, sick things. And uh, Oh, goodness. And so I had thrown it away. Right. I had no food, and I was like, crap. So I jumped in my car, and I went to the grocery store. And because I was an out-of-state student, I could either write a check with – my student ID, I needed two forms, student ID and my birth certificate, student ID and a driver's license. This day, I, I decided to use my student ID and my driver's license. So as I did that, I inadvertently, I'm doing air quotes, dropped my birth certificate out of my day planner. Didn't know I dropped it. When I went to get my change because I got cash back, I went to get my change out of that little silver thing. I noticed a woman behind me in line was reading what looked to be like a birth certificate because I could see the seal coming through the back end of it, the back side. And I said, I looked for I couldn't find it. I said, excuse me, is that by chance a birth certificate? And she said, yeah, it is. And she handed it to me. She was, oh, it's just on the floor. I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to be nosy, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. And she kept looking at me kind of weird, but I was used to that anyway. So I, I, uh, <laughs> I just got my things, and I went out, and I was putting them in the car. She comes running out there. She goes, And this is in that GoCast video, too, when they say an old neighbor called. Well, she, um, she says, can I ask you a question? She goes, I'm wondering why I don't know you. I said, what do you mean? She goes, I noticed on that birth certificate the address. She goes, I grew up on that street, and my parents have lived on that street for 65 years. I said, I know, but there's nothing on that street now but one abandoned, boarded-up house and a bunch of projects. She goes, yeah, that's true. She goes, but that house, it's boarded up, but it's not abandoned. And she points to this, this large van, and she goes, see that van? That's a handicapped van. Both of my parents are wheelchair-bound. They still live in that house that you saw boarded up. But I live behind them on the adjacent street, and there's a, there's a, um, a pathway between both of our homes because of them being in wheelchairs. And I take them out the back and put them, take them to my house, put them in this van, and drive them to their appointments. But the kids from the projects kept breaking in and stealing their microwaves and cordless phones and things. So we boarded it up so they wouldn't be able to tell if anyone was home or not. But they are home, and she goes, and if anybody had a baby on our street in 1962 on the 4th of July, my mother will know her. And I'm looking at her, and I'm like, okay. So she took my phone number. I didn't think any more of it because I'd been shot down so many times over the years, the hospital, the courts, everything. Um, So I go back to the apartment, and in, in no time, my phone rings, and she goes, yeah. She goes, my mom says there was a woman who had a baby, but her name isn't Harris. Maybe she got remarried. She goes, but my mother wants to call her first. She goes, because Lauren, not everybody wants to be found. And it had never even dawned on me all those years, those decades, that this entire quest could be for nothing if she didn't want to be found. And I'm just stuck considering something I had never considered. And I'm glad I never considered it because I probably never would have started looking. Mm, But five minutes later, my phone rang and I just picked it up. And she goes, hello? I go, hello? And the lady said, hey. She said, yep, she wants to be found. And here's her number. 25 minutes later, I knocked on my mother's door and she opened it. And I walked in, and she said, she looked at me, and she said, I knew you weren't dead. And I said, how? And she touched her stomach like pregnant women do. And she said, because we were once one person. Wow. And it made everything in my world instantly make sense. It was that defining moment when everything came together. And, you know, I had her for almost 20 years before she left my life for a second time through death. And, you know, it's amazing to me that I could learn from someone I had never met. I sang at her funeral and I looked down because she chose the song. And the song she chose, the lyrics were all about. And I had tons of songs I'd sang before for other services. And I said, well, mom, can't you just pick one of these that I do, I do all the time? She said, no, no, no. I know what I'm doing. This has to be the song. And the lyrics in the song spoke to, don't cry for me. I've, I've completed it. I've done it. I've finished my journey. You're still here trying to get it right. Don't cry for me. And... The reason that song meant so much to me was because later a couple weeks later when she was home on hospice when I I waited in the corner of her house for her other kids to finish with her because I always felt like they did you know they were her real kids that's how I felt mm-hmm. and when I went in I know I knew later but I didn't know at the time that it was her last 10 minutes of life and she rolled over she was a stage 4 lung cancer and she rolled over and she could barely whisper And she goes, remember that day all those years ago when you knocked on my door and I told you that one day I would die a happy woman because you gave me what I needed to know that you were okay. And I said, yeah. She goes, well, that day is today. Oh,
1: beautiful.
0: And she goes, but I gotta admit, Lauren, I'm a little bit sad too. And I was like, why? And she said, because I've seen where God is taking you. And you're going to be sad a lot of times because your your expectations for the people you'll be trying to help, they will be greater than many of them have for themselves. And it's going to be very saddening to you because you, you will be able to do nothing about it because they have to choose. And she goes, but you're going to change lives just like you changed mine that day. And she goes, but don't be sad for me because she goes, you know what? Keep doing what you do and show others how to do what they were meant to do because it boils down to one thing and one thing only. And I said, what's that? And she goes, when you are where I am right now, you will, want, you will be looking around your world for as far back as you can remember for something to prove to you that you got it right. She goes, I know right now in this moment that I got it right. And I said, how? She goes, because look at you and look at me. She goes, I know I've lived the right life because when I was born, I was the one crying and everyone around me was smiling. But right now, everyone around me is crying, but I'm the one who's smiling. And a few minutes later, she was gone. You know, so, and it was maybe two months later that I took what she gave me that day and I decided to change lives with it. And so I was able to reinvent blame. And what I mean by that is today I look at every pain moment, the ones I chose for myself and the ones that were chosen for me, and I look at it, it for instance, if it were the broken system. I now look at that broken system in a different way than I did for four decades. I look at it, and I blame it for giving me a voice of change. When I speak to foster care kids, alumni, um, administrators, um, when I testified before Congress on the behalf of removing uh, trash bags from uh, these kids, all these years later, they're still handing them trash yeah, bags. Thank
1: you for that. Yeah.
0: You know, right? I, I, I blame the system that was that failed me for the voice I have today to help others every one of my abusers you know I couldn't have a successful relationship in my life I had one relationship in my 20s that lasted two months i now I'm married now I, I, I'm married to my everything but you know the abusers whispered things to me about being unworthy and things that would seal my silence and it'll never get better than this and this is what people like you have coming and What they did was when I reinvented blame, I blamed them for teaching me patience. Instead of looking for that right person, I worked on becoming that right person. And when I got that down, I looked up, and my everything was standing right before me. Because I used to always say to God that, you know, I would rather spend the last five minutes of my life with my everything than all of my life with just anything. And trust me right around 40, I was looking up going, okay, really? You took me seriously? You know, because nothing was happening. And so, but today I don't remember any of the emptiness because I'm so full. I don't remember any of the pain like I used to. I still remember it, but it doesn't hurt like it did. It hurts in a good way. I don't miss those people, like there were kids, the three boys that I was mentioning that I have the necklace for, not one of those boys came out of the system. Uh, they all died within the system, all three of them. The oldest, they made it. They were, when we were in that room that night together, we were, I was the oldest. I was 11. There were two nine-year-olds and a three-year-old. The three-year-old, Adam, was the uh, spokesman because even though he was the youngest, he had the most experience. Because the rest of us came from another home into the system. He was born in prison, one system, and handed to the foster system, another system. And he was the one who warned me that we had an abuser in that home. And because I was the new kid, most likely that night he was going to come through that hole in the wall, and he was Mm -hmm. going to be coming for me. And so they they saved my life with their stories. And when I looked for them, when I aged out of the system, I I found out my caseworker who I had at the time took about three months and found all three stories and met me for coffee and said I have bad news. And she told me how each one of them perished. And so I decided when I started this career that when I speak to kids, I will speak through four mouths, four stories, four sets of truths. The one that I lived and as much of those three that I can remember, excuse me, remember, because they literally saved my life many times, not just as a kid, but through my years of addiction um, and, you know, 14 years of addiction, running out there. And, 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 and there's a difference between running from something and running towards something. So I had to reinvent that as well. And today, today, I am humbled. I look at things like my wall with people magazine on it and all the different things we just got an award from the united nations a few weeks ago i look at all those things and the old me who felt lacking and didn't feel worthy would look at those things as if my life depended on them those things hanging in awards were as important to me as my next breath but today when i look at that wall you know where my focus is I may look at the things hanging and read them or reminisce, fondly remember myself to those experiences, but I immediately am forced to look at the adjacent space on those walls, the empty space, and be grateful that I believe that I can fill that empty space by being of service to others. So everything that I've done... Now that I used, to, I spent decades thinking, when this happens, it will validate me as a person, it's not what it does at all. It immediately makes me look to the empty wall space and say to myself, "Jeez, I wonder what's next. Nice. When there were many times I didn't want any next. I just wanted it mm-hmm. over. But there was always something and I'm doing air quotes again, that voice that whispers to us, that thing that I believe when you get chills and goosebumps, that's the breath of that voice touching your spirit and your body all at the same time. And it always told me, get up. Get back up anyway. And so here we are. And, you know, it's a new year. It's a new decade. And I just want people to know You know, um, when I do my speaking and my events, um, and I've been so blessed in just three years, over 800 and some paid speaking gigs. It's just incredible. And, you know, every single time, it doesn't matter if it's one person or if it were 10,000 people, when I walk out, I can't help but try to get eye contact with every single person. Why? Because I'm just mystified at how I'm even here. And I look out and I think of the promise about where there are two or more of us. And I'm looking and I say to my audience, I know what you're thinking right now. But sometimes it's been three, four minutes and I'm just standing there looking. And they're looking at me like, is this dude crazy? I say, you're wondering, aren't you? You're wondering, what's he looking at? I'm not looking at anything. It's whom I'm looking for. Because I know I was promised that when two of us come together, just two of us, something truly wonderful is possible and I know I'm one, now I challenge you each to ask yourselves, could I be the other one? Every day, whether we're in the line at the grocery store, in our car, stuck in traffic, or on stages or podcasts, or doing something like we're doing right now, your story, just like mine, began within the beginning and once upon a time, which means that every version, version of ourselves had a hand in getting us to where we are today. We cannot, we must always honor every one of the Andreas, every one of the Laurens, every one of, every every single version of yourself is responsible for you being who you are today. And I pay homage to all those Larrys and the Laurens and because I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be here. Is my life perfect? Absolutely not. But I'm glad it's not because that means that my, I would be ready for a flat line. There would be no need for the monitor of life, the heart monitor of life, to continue showing me up, down, up, down. Everybody thinks they want smooth sailing. When things end up just right, that's a flat line. That's proof that there is no life. It is that up, down, up down that gives us undeniable proof that we are living. And again, it's not our fingerprints. It's not our DNA. The two things that we never question about, oh, that makes me an individual. That makes me unique. Nobody else in the universe has this, my fingerprints or my DNA. But when we die ashes to ashes, dust to dust, those two go with us. But it's those stories that we write while we're here that have the opportunity to continue doing our work after our tongues have been silenced it is the only thing that can continue on doing what we are here doing right now, right now, we will, we will never ever again be as young as we are right now. I am at 57 years old knowing without a shadow of a doubt that it is probably true, that I have more life behind me than I have in front of me. And so I could spend every day still You know, feeling like, well, look what I went through. Look, look, look. And instead of moving through the events into the journey, sitting there at the mile markers, just sitting at the mile markers. That's what there are. That's what those dates and things are, those moments in time. They're mile markers. It's where one thing began and another thing ended. But it's the space in between the mile markers that give us distance, that create journey. If you stand in one spot, you have no journey. You're the person who never went anywhere. So that, that's, that's what it is for me today, you guys. And um, I just hope in this year that people start sharing their truths uh, at every available opportunity. Don't worry about being judged. Do not judge others. And just remember, if you start, when we begin to understand the value in the small things, you will start feeling and understanding the value in all things, because I believe that's what whatever is greater than us looks for, because it knows that it's the, it's the only indicator it needs. If Lauren does right with the pennies I give him, then he's certainly going to do right with the dollars. So just get up every day and and honor the pennies in your life. That's that's really it in a nutshell.
1: Very beautiful. So I thank you so much for you know, sharing your story and, and the things that you've overcome and, and how you've been able to make them such a positive life force. Um, oh, would you share for us course. now what oh, yeah what you're doing now as far as um, the, like the power of we, uh, uh, it looks yeah. like you've got some other new things coming that I don't, hadn't even got a chance to read or hear about yet that I'd love like to
0: know. Oh, by all means, sure. Well, the Power of We Symposium, Um, Is my annual event. Uh, We service uh, 250 kids at a time, and we've had Chicago Symposium in 18, 19 was Atlanta. And this year, we're going global, taking the Power of We Symposium to Australia for a 16-day tour between Sydney and Melbourne. And um, we're building the Power of We uh, safe house over there for their teen problem of homeless teens and what the power of we is as speakers um, from all over all calibers beginning advanced intermediate um, they they bring their power topic uh, whatever it was that they used almost like a superpower when they were a child like these kids in the audience um, and i always say these are our deserving teen youth leaders. Now, it doesn't mean that they have to come from inner city. It doesn't mean that they, you know, because our kids that are in rural areas where the school shootings all take place, 23 school shootings year before last in our, in our country. And they all took place in, in predominantly Caucasian or other than your, your inner city uh, demographic. Um, So those kids, you know, kids in the inner city, they're afraid that they won't live through the summer because of gang violence and whatnot. The kids that are afraid of school shootings are afraid they won't make it through the school day. So no matter how you slice it, our kids need us and we need to do better for them. So I create a safe space with the power of we where they can watch us walk the red carpet. They watch us uh, with the paparazzi and then we go out on the street where they're watching from and we say, what do you think you just saw? And they tell us, oh, stars and celebrities like, we're just people. We were you once. But we want you to know that when you walk down that red carpet going into this event, if you listen to us today while you're in there, you will have walked in a stargazer, but you can walk out a trailblazer. And that's what you truly saw. And give them examples and give them experiences, access to places they may have never thought that they could go or would be welcomed. So we do that. So that's my pride and joy. That's what we received um, the um, award from the United Nations for, which was their Global Empowerment Movement Award, the gym award. I also, um, one of my favorite things in the world to do is when I work with my coaching clients uh, in the development of their messages, taking people back to the very beginning, their once upon a time, um, restoring the voice all of the versions of themselves. Uh, I find it so interesting. Many times clients will come to me and they've already written a book. And when I I open it up and their book starts, my story begins when I was 22 years old. And I'm like, you would be so famous for being the oldest person to come out of a womb. If that were true, you know, (laughs) (laughs) our our story started when we started. I want to leave you guys with this. Um, You know, I do these things. And I I, I believe that everything that is in my world today, power of we, my workshops, discover the author slash speaker in you um, my coaching program, which is just one of like I said, one of the greatest things in my world today and all of the things I do in my community, all the rotary, all those things. I think they, I believe that they come to me. They come to us on their way through us to others. And so when you look at it that way, because I've always been – I've conditioned myself for decades to treat myself last, to treat myself worse. So being of service to others was a real lifesaver for me because it, it, it conditioned me to do what I should have been doing all along, get away from Marsha, Marsha, Marsha mentality, and do what I can do with what I have. And I was surprised at how much what I thought was just a little can do in this world. And um, – you know, now when I used to think what legacy meant back before I knew my truths, the only things in this universe that will never change or change on me before I knew them, I was I believed in luck. I don't any longer. Today, when people ask Lauren Michaels Harris, Lauren, what is your why? I point to the word legacy and I say, the one you find at the end of that word, right there, legacy. That is the only why that matters to me. Because if I can put a Y at the end of that word, when I take my last breath, I will have done my job. Because it means I left something that people can use, learn from, and grow. And so I encourage everyone to keep their eye on the prize. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. You must go through that tunnel, though, to get to that light. Because when you go in, you go with the G and the O, in the middle of it, in the darkness, you pick up, not even knowing it, an R and a W. Now you're growing. You come out the other side, so you go, you grow. Now you know you're an authority because you came out. Now you have to show somebody what you've just seen. We are human scrubbing bubbles. Everything we live is so that someone else doesn't have to. And that's it. Beautiful. Beautiful.
1: How can people find you and reach you?
0: Well, I'm all over Facebook. There's Lauren Harris, where my Bathrobe Moment show airs from every morning, Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. Central. And I'm always looking for great, compelling stories, hashtag real people, real issues, real talk, illuminating conversations. And that's on my personal page, Lauren Harris. I also have a a public profile under uh, Lauren Michaels Harris and then my website, which is Lauren Michaels, with an S, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-S, Harris.com.
1: Beautiful. Well, we really appreciate you, uh, you know, joining us, and um, I know that I've had the pleasure of engaging with you different times throughout the world and so forth of, with uh, yeah. knowing what you're doing and um, working with with some of my clients as well that I helped do publicity for and their movements and their things, and then, of course, um, with the Keep Smiling movement, all the amazing things that I do, yeah, do with that. Yeah, and you are on the cover of multiple of our books, so... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that is super fun. So the keep smiling movement is um, you know, I I'm, I'm I'm mama to that project and um it's yeah. you know, it being being the being the mama of that, I really care that everybody in the world knows my child and loves my child and, <laughs> and uh it does take a whole village to uh participate in that. And so e- even while you were talking about the foster kids, it's so funny that um you know, I was thinking obviously about human and real people, but I was just thinking about the movement and how important that is to me, and I was thinking of it almost in that iconic, funny kind of a way that, you know, it's so important to me that people are able to see and engage and smiles and see that internally and externally they can change their world by their attitude and beliefs, very much like what you have done. So I, I really see you as a person who is living an example of what we're trying to show people with what we're doing with Girl. the keep okay. Smiling movement. Yeah. And, yes, um, you know, when, I love it. When we can foster the world, the, the world becomes a foster to love on this child, on this movement, so that we can actually affect not only children's lives, but adults' lives. Um, you know, it's, it's quite moving to me. So I'm very excited about me. it. And um, Me as well. Yeah and uh we have about 5 minutes left here on the show. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to hear a little bit more about your music cuz that's a part that I I have never got the opportunity to explore and I love music. I love singing as well. I I sing oh, yeah. and I I present when I when I'm on stage when I'm speaking on stage I I usually you know a cappella something here or there <laughs> cuz I can't help it. <laughs> yes. <today.
0: laughs> yes. The well, you know, the, the music has always been a part of my life, and um, I, the album, I, I wrote a song a um, few years ago that was um, a theme song for a movie, and it, the song is called Dream, and it, it, my producers heard it at one of the film festivals and offered me a two-album deal. So the first album is out now, um, and it's, it's entitled Turn It Around, all original music, all just stories, stories, another way I tell my stories um and uh you know tell people about how it may look one way now but everything has a flip side to it you know and um and I just I I spend my th- my time uh polishing the side that I I'm forced to look at for as long as I look at it because I know when I get it polished up I'll be able to turn it over and start polishing the other side um because it, it for me It's all about finding my way to that moment in time where I have a vantage viewpoint of everything that I've been challenged to understand and live. Um, And from that viewpoint, I can see it from top to bottom, bottom to top, side to side, side to side, corner to corner and corner to corner. I honor the question marks. And that's what these songs are about. Um, Turn it around, somebody, battlefield, up, down, which talks about what I said earlier about that heartbeat of life. Um, just all of the songs on there are songs of just keep going, just keep going. That's all it is. So I'm grateful for that. Um, I use the, you know, it's on, it's out there where people purchase it, but I usually give it away at my event coming up, uh, February 15th here in, uh, Chicago, uh, the discover the author and speaker in you, which is a full day workshop, helping people half the day, uh, get going on how to get their, their message together and getting some feedback and getting on stage and, and, and getting the, the you know nerves out of the way and letting people that love you, creating a safe space is the beginning of a great relationship no matter how you chop it, no matter how you slice mm-hmm. it. So my events are created to create a safe space for people. Um, not a lot of selling and, and not to take that from anybody, but it's just not the way I roll. And then the other half of the day is about discovering um, that author in you. You know, if you want to write articles or just getting your message out, that's what we do. That's what you're doing. That's what we're all doing. And uh, people don't know what to do with an opportunity if they don't know about the opportunity. So, you know, um, the music is just another way to you know, show the same uh, picture. Our stories, do you remember when you were a kid, in conclusion, you know, we'd sit out there and the teacher would be in the chair and we'd be cross-legged on the floor, sitting Indian style. Mm -hmm. I, for one, could not wait until she got to that part of the story where she was going to flip the book around and show us the pictures. (laughs) And that's what I think we all are going for every day in our lives, showing the world the pictures of our stories. Love
1: it. Well, it has yeah. uh, certainly been exciting to have you and to see, you. you know, what you're going to be doing next and, um, you know, and exploring what's going to be happening in your world. And uh, so, I, I you know, you're always looking for bathrobe moments. I know both uh, Gina, Gina yeah. had an uh, emergency to attend to, so she's not able to join us here at the end of the show. So hopefully her emergency is not life-threatening emergency. Um, right. And um, uh, uh, she would be a great guest. Uh, I would love to be on. And, and you know, it's funny. I got think oh. about it i'm like we've never had the opportunity you, we, you i don't think you know anything about me <laughs> so Guess i'll have what, to tell you someday
0: <laughs> yes i do know some because you know ken was ken was here um a few weeks back and spent the day with us here in chicago and um uh-huh. we talked about you yes we did so you're welcome whenever you'd like to come on the show i'd love to have you
1: Oh I would love to do that. That sounds like a lot of fun and uh, i 've seen it a couple different episodes and always enjoyed it. I love your candor and your humor and, and just something um uh, because i do i 've done theater my whole life and because I like to sing yeah. and because I like improv and funny It just your whole demeanor of who you are and how you show up it just uh, uh just warms my heart a little and makes me uh, uh, really enjoy that you 've embraced who you are as an individual and allowed people to love it, and the people who don't like, you're like, well, um, well, that's too bad for them, that they don't have that kind mm-hmm. of sense of humor.
0: <laughs> right. That's exactly it. Yeah.
1: Well And it's really awesome that you were able to discover that, because, I I mean, from hearing your story here this last hour, that's not probably the way it was for a long time, that you were able to be that free with being who you nope. are.
0: Nope. It's only really been like that for I, less than five years, Andrew.
1: But the no. thing well, about I'm it is, feeling you.
0: I'll tell you this, this is what it feels like, though. It doesn't matter how long it takes you to get there. The moment you get there, if there were 90 years, this romance called purpose, that this romance I have with purpose now, every day feels like I just started dating five seconds ago.
1: Aww.
0: You know, That's it's great. that wonderful. It's that wonderful. Well, Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's so exciting to hear that you found love and that you're so happy and that things are turning out and being wonderful is so um, exciting for people to hear. Because first of all, I like uh-huh. you, and so I'm happy for you personally. But to know that um, universally, that people can have hope and inspiration, to know that they can find what they're looking for. So Absolutely. we have our countdown here for 20 seconds again. Um, LaurenMichelsHarris.com is Lauren's website. So if you'd like to join or figure out how you can engage with the power of we please do so and um yeah. and then check out his facebook page for bathrobe moments and uh with that we thank you so much for being with us gina gaudio grace mm. Divisio and andrea adams miller the red carpet connection bless you and goodbye
0: <laughs> thank you bye now bye everyone. <laughs>
1: Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Blackbook page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.